the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Hello, my friends. Before I begin, I have two things I'd like to say. The first is thank you for all the wonderful cards, uh, both for my birthday but also for my uh, recovery from surgery. I'm doing well at 75 and enjoying life, and uh, things are getting better every day. The second is I want to give you a little history lesson, which is fascinating to consider. 245 years ago, on July the 4th, 1776, America declared freedom from British rule. We call it Independence Day. It was 87 years later, on January 1st, 1863, that President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Slaves in America were set free. Independence Day. Two and a half years later, on June 19th, 1865, the last slaves were set free by Union troops in Galveston, Texas. Juneteenth, freedom from slavery. And 156 years later, June 17th, 2021, this last Thursday, the Congress established a new federal holiday. Juneteenth, a holiday to celebrate freedom from slavery in America. We have much to celebrate, and may we continue to celebrate the lives of all the people of color that we live with day in and day out. They are our brothers and sisters, and they are free. Amen. Now for the message. In steps one to three, we discover God's way for us to find serenity with himself. In steps four through seven, we discover God's way for us to find serenity with ourselves. Today, we begin the third aspect of serenity, the way God has established for us to have serenity with those around us, with others. We begin the next three steps with step eight. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Everything presented in this series on the 12 steps helps us to face, own up to, admit, confess, and repent of our addictions, our character flaws, our obsessions and compulsions, and our sins, so that God, who is willing and able, would not only restore us to health and wholeness, but would make us new. But there's still more work to be done. While living in our addiction, our sin, we affected other people. The Lord, whom we have turned our life and our will over to, that was salvation, tells us that we have work to do with these people whom we have wronged. Listen to what God says to us in the Bible. Exodus 22.3 Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. Exodus 22.5 If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. Exodus 22.6 If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, 
the one who started the fire must make restitution. Exodus 22:14. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. And Leviticus 6, 2 to 5. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit. When they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property they found, or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth to the value of it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And then Numbers 5, 5 to 7. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and is so unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the person they have wronged. Did you catch the connection in the last text? Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord. It seems very clear to me that this text is saying that doing wrong in any way with another person is a clear sign of unfaithfulness, that is, doing wrong to the Lord himself. Step eight helps us begin the process of cleaning up our history by making a list of all the persons we have harmed and then becoming willing to make amends to them all. Let us first pray together the serenity prayer as we then seek to understand and work this eighth step. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as we would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if we surrender to your will, so that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Let's understand step eight. The intention is most clearly stated in the book, The Twelve Steps of Spiritual Journey, to make amends and heal our past so that God can transform the present. Broadly defined, amends is repairing the damage of the past. Now, I have occasionally described this as the wake that we have made with our life. We all leave awake. It can be a playful and fun ride for others, or it can be jarring and even damaging for anyone to have been with us. There are, however, obstacles to step eight, which must be identified and overcome in order to repair the damage we have caused. Let me list three such obstacles. The first is forgiveness. In the classic AA book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, we read, quote, to escape looking at the wrongs we have done another, we resentfully focus on the wrong they have done us. We seize upon another's misbehavior 
as the perfect excuse for minimizing or forgetting our own, end of quote. And in the book, The Twelve Steps of Spiritual Journey, comes the strongest statement on forgiveness outside the Bible. Listen to this. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a decision. When we choose not to forgive someone because of our anger or hurt over the way they have treated us, aren't we really saying that the problem is our anger? And isn't that something we would want to deal with in our life? When we choose not to forgive someone, we choose not to trust that God's way for living our life is best. God clearly throughout the entire Bible calls us to forgive in the same way that God has chosen to forgive us of everything we have said, done, or failed to say or do. Often, choosing not to forgive someone is a cover-up for the things we have said and done to them, which we need to have purged from our own life. Jealousy, self-righteousness, defensiveness, control. You know these things. We all do. It is only with God's help that any of us can give genuine forgiveness. It is only with God's help that I can get past the obstacle of forgiveness that binds me to what I need to address and forgive in myself. With that in mind, I recommend a booklet on the topic of forgiveness written by University Press in 1980. Obstacle number two is fear. Fear of the prospect of actually visiting or even writing those we have wronged, especially as we remember either how badly we behaved and what they might think of us, and on the other hand, how unaware they might have been that it was us that hurt them. The Apostle John writes this in his first letter. Perfect love drives out fear. 1 John 4, 18. John does not mean that fear is conquered only as our love is perfected. What John does mean is that as we understand God's love for us is perfect, that is, it's never faltering, it's never withheld, it's never limited, but always given, always complete, always more than enough. It's then that we can face our fears of the things God asks us to do and know that his love is there to direct, to protect, and help us find a better life by following him and his ways. With God helping us to know how wide how long, how high, and how deep his love really is for me, Ephesians 3.18, I will get past the obstacle of fear, and so will you. Obstacle number three is deceptive thinking. The deceptive thought for the alcoholic and the drug addict and often the sinner is that, quote, when drinking or doing drugs or sinning, we never hurt anybody but ourselves. It's stinking thinking to think that. Many times I have listened to an alcoholic insist that their drinking behavior is done away from home, that they haven't embarrassed their family in public by being drunk. While there may be some truth in what they say, the reality is that their not being home has affected their family. Their depletion of income by drinking to excess <clears throat> excuse me, has affected their family. There are many eyes that see them over the top or under the table in those times away from the family. It is self-deceptive thinking to really believe that addictive behavior of any kind has little or no effect on others. This self-deceptive thought is not originally nor exclusively for the alcoholic or the drug addict. All people, all people 
tend to rationalize and justify their wrong behavior by shrugging that behavior off as not affecting others. The reality is, not only does our behavior have an effect on others, and it certainly has an effect on us, to not deal with our behaviors because we think it hasn't hurt others is the ultimate self-deception because it keeps us from doing what is most important in our own lives, living with integrity before God, ourselves, and others. So how do I work step eight? First, I have to know my wrongs. There are material wrongs. These are the wrongs that affected a person in a tangible way, like borrowing but not paying back, extravagant spending on self to the detriment of spouse and family, injuring another, damaging the property of another. In the New Testament, the tax collector Zacchaeus was so impacted personally by Jesus that he recognized and knew his material wrongs and said in public, and I quote him, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, Luke 19.8. This is what happens when you surrender your life and your will over to God. But there are not only material wrongs, there are moral wrongs. These are wrongs of inappropriate behavior in relationships, like selfish pursuits, forgetting birthdays, holidays, other special occasions, broken promises made to another person, lying about anything, or if you choose not to use the word lying, exaggerating, or leaving out important other information, and sexual infidelity. In the New Testament, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, lied to the church about a gift of money they were giving, saying that they gave all the proceeds, which they did not. That lie cost each of them their lives on the very day they lied. You can find that story in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. And then there are spiritual wrongs. These are actions or omissions that neglect our obligations to God, ourselves, and family, like making no effort to fulfill an obligation, like showing no gratitude to those who have helped, by setting a bad example as a Christian, or worse yet, setting no example of what it means to be a Christian. My disobedience to God and God's ways have caused harm. By failing to show the right attitude or set the right example, I confuse those who are wanting to know God and his ways and are watching me to learn them. Listen to Jesus. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Luke eleven forty two. The Pharisees' detail of tithing was admirable and appropriate. Their failure at justice, making things right for the poor, and their failure at genuinely loving God was tragic. Religious people can easily fall into the same pattern. There is one other spiritual wrong that I would like to identify. In his first letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not neglect your gift. 1 Timothy 4.14 not putting into use the gifts or the talents God has given us deprives our lives from the fulfillment we were made for and deprives others of what God wants done through us. For the teacher, teach. For the healer, 
heal for the musician, make music. And I could go on a long time, and you know this yourself. Failing to exercise God's gift in us is a spiritual wrong that must be corrected. People have been wronged if we fail to bring them God's grace through the gift God has given us to express and share that grace. There's an addendum that's been put in the notes that you have received. It's called my amends inventory. This is the general list of people that God brings to mind that I have wronged. And this is the starting place for making amends, the inventory of damage that I've caused. This is to become our to-do list for making amends, for doing step eight. There's a second addendum called my amends getting specific. After making my amends list, I get more specific about each person I've wronged. The goal is to be clear. Clear about the wrong that I did, clear about how I did that and how it might have affected the person I wronged, and clear about what flaw in my character or sin in my life is to be addressed so I would not be that way or do that or say that or think that ever again. Do I need step eight? I do. But listen to the scriptures. Proverbs 14.9 Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Matthew 6.14-15 If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 18.21-22 and 22. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone or forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Or Luke six thirty seven, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Or Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I want to be healthy. I want to be whole. I want to be right with God and right with myself and right with others. I gave my life and my will over to God, and I still do this. Giving my life and my will over to God is an everyday decision. And because I have given my life and my will over to God, I need to forgive. That is God's will. May he help me to be willing to forgive. And because I have given my life and my will over to God, I need to make amends. That is God's will. May he help me be willing to make amends. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help me and my friends to enter this difficult yet life-changing place of becoming willing to make amends to people we have harmed. Bring to our minds and hearts the people we have hurt and give us the courage and discipline to be honest in our thinking. Remind us that in every damaged relationship, we can only seek to make right our part of the damage. You've made it possible for us to do this, Father. Help us to proceed through the strength you give us to become willing to make amends. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.